For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome today to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Good, uh, well, Happy New Year, Josh. Happy 2018, Dan. Still, I guess we're still third week of January, so... Is it uh, not too late for the Happy New Year? I guess not too late. Okay. Listen, we're, we're going to have a, a top 2018 list somewhere, uh, so I'm sure we can, we can still say Happy 2018. Now, today on the program, we're actually going to take our first show of the year to uh, do something a bit different. We've been doing Today's Entrepreneur for almost a decade now. And throughout this time, you know, people are always asking me about you guys and about Fuller Landau and what you guys do for, for a living. So we're just going to turn the tables and devote this show to talk about what you do for a business and what inspires you guys. And uh, kind of a little bit what makes us tick. Not Maybe not all the secrets, but uh, should be fun to uh, to hear. We have a few partners that might be a little nervous, but uh, but we'll, we'll be good. Well, I, I'll be good. I don't know about Mike. Joining us in studio is Mike Newton, also a partner at FL, who fills in for you, Josh, when you're out of town. And, and Mike is, is notoriously shy. I am. And once again, even though he is here, I'm still the fill-in for Josh Miller. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Uh, we also have Patrick Sullivan here. And Patrick will talk a little bit later in the program about uh, how to prevent people from stealing from your business, uh, stealing ideas, really, or, or stealing well, still Stealing uh, basically money, you know, <laughs> how to watch out so you don't get, uh, well, you don't get rooked or screwed. That's coming up in the program. But first, before we sort of dig into uh, to you guys and how you guys started in business and, and all of that, uh, let's get to our entrepreneurial news and notes for 2018. And in late 2017, I was I was still writing a lot about artificial intelligence and, and uh, that sort of boom in Montreal. And it, that continues to fascinate me, Josh. And we're seeing a lot more growth in the, in the tech sector. There was an AI forum here in Montreal last week. And uh, there, again, leaders from um, companies like Microsoft and Google are still saying that the growth is maintaining and Montreal is still becoming really this AI hub around the world, maybe even the AI hub. Um, I, I'll just throw this out there. I mean, how can local entrepreneurs, you think, maybe take advantage of this burgeoning tech sector? You know, could maybe we can encourage entrepreneurs to perhaps look for a graduate student who can add an, an, a tech element to the business or partner up with one of these tech companies? Well, there, there's no question that uh, the international world is looking at Montreal. Uh, the, the Montreal has been, AI has been on the IT front, certainly back in or still with its gaming days, gaming development and with Ubisoft and all that, but definitely gained a lot with AI. It's, it's really being out there, like you could say with almost any business, certainly in the tech field as well. It's being out there, it's being present, it's attending conferences, it's it's getting to know people, it's getting to know the right people, using the right space, it's really hitting the pavement. Uh, and of course, it's being online. It's it's showing your platform online, it's uh, you know joining forums and communities, uh, online or other, and it's really just getting your name out there that much more. If of course you have that right AI product, uh, or augmented reality, that's another that's another uh, aspect of uh, technology that's that's definitely in the forefront. Then then that too uh, can be. But you you know, do you have the right product, or do you have the right developer, and maybe do you have the right influence or connector that uh, they can do it? So there's a bunch of things that businesses can do, but you have to put in the effort, you have to put in the energy, and uh, you kind of have to put in some dollars too. So you'll have to you have to look for for investors and venture capital as well. Story from the Gazette uh, the other day about Montreal firms finding practical and fanciful applications for augmented reality. So this is, I guess, uh, sort of a parallel field. Um, uh, and basically, the story is saying how uh, you know there there are all kinds of different configurations for augmented reality. This is the thing where I guess you 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 may be looking at a product and then a 
visual or computer display sort of goes over top of it? Well, really what it is, it's, it's not virtual reality. It's augmented reality. And augmented reality really tries to place the user in the virtual world. Uh, it, it, really, it really tries to put virtual elements in the real world. That's really what it does. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking, if you're looking at uh, your living room and you wanted to see a coffee table there, then you can place the coffee table in the picture of your living room just with your your, your iPad, your iPhone, your your tablet, whatever you want to do. Uh, just like uh, uh, Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go was an augmented reality because the, you saw the Pokemons on your screen wherever you were traveling in the world. So that's that's what augmented reality is. But there's so many more applications to it and uh, and so much more that can be done. And there's, you know, the, the article was really on this company, Sensopia, who is really trying to use it to the nth degree uh, in, in any and all applications, including for construction companies, including for, you know, they, they have the plans. You can plan out a room, get the square footage, and then come back to, okay, I need this much paint to fill exactly all the walls, and then it's going to take me exactly this long to paint it. It's it's really creating quite the precision uh, precision out of it. There's the story in Financial Post you wanted to highlight about um, sort of thinking in a in a non traditional way and and being on your toes uh, in this case when an opportunity arises. And the story is about uh, ballet, actually. It's about uh, actually it's a it's a new wait for for ballerinas to to dance. Uh, you know their toes. There's a lot of pressure on their toes. But the story I don't want to talk about ballerina's toes, uh, more that she tried to get into the business. She tried to go to the wholesalers. She tried to go to the stores and the retail to get it done. Got absolutely nowhere. So what did she do? She went on her Instagram and she went directly to the ballerinas themselves. She went to the end user, the, the consumer, said, you know, showed pictures, showed, showed the whole process, what it's all about, got connected with a couple of higher level ballerinas, and it just flowed from there. So the, her use of going direct to consumer instead of trying to sell the reseller, the wholesaler, the retailer, uh, that was really what helped. So that was what I was going to highlight. And in next week's show, and uh, when we speak with Eurocracy, uh, we're going to see that their Instagram, uh, their, their part of their package in their group, they've used Instagram uh, since Instagram began, and it's huge. So it's a, it was just a story that get out of your comfort zone a little bit and sometimes go direct to a consumer using some online tools. This is a story in the Financial Post again about convergence being a serious threat to small business and retail operations. And today we had uh, those Amazon Go stores appear in some locations across North America. There again, another example of uh, the changing retail landscape. Just competition from the big guys, you know, when Google and Walmart start to connect, uh, you know, and, and everybody's looking for lower prices and, and distribution, you know, ease to get the product to your own door. These monsters uh, have the deep pockets to do it well. And if you want to get in, you want to compete, you better look at your logistics side. It's not, you better look at your user friendliness of your website uh, and make sure that you, that you have those abilities. And the, I mean, just two of them, but, uh, but those things really down pat because with these monsters start, uh, start getting together, it's even that going to be that much harder for smaller retailers. Finally, Dan Kelly, the president of the Canadian Federation for Independent Business, writes in the Financial Post about the things uh, to watch for in 2018 when it comes to small business. Um, we can run through a couple of them now, but uh, perhaps the first maybe we can uh, uh, deal with is is the, the NAFTA crisis in Canada. What are your thoughts on on that and how that's shaping up in 2018? I'm, I'm just waiting for Mike to just jump in and say something. <laughs> He's been so good and so quiet. I thought he was just going to jump in right there. I'm still trying to get over the thought of the word ballerina and monster and Josh in the same sentence. So It's, it's not not a visual show, so it's okay. Uh, NAFTA, you know, there, there's no question. I, I think a lot of a lot of people are certainly Canadian government 
and nobody knows where it's going to go necessarily, but a lot of focus has become on CETA, the European Union, and really, you know, the, the Canadian government saying, go take advantage of that, of that agreement, that free trade agreement, because it's access to, you know, 20 odd, almost 30 countries there. Uh, NAFTA, listen, US is still our biggest trading partner. I don't know how much things are going to change so quickly, but it's it's up in the air. Uh, Mike, do you have a thought on it? I have a thought on everything. Uh, no, I think I think the reality of NAFTA is, 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 I think we're in a situation where ultimately at the end of the day, the American government is trying to position themselves. Their biggest problem with NAFTA is not north of the border, but south of the border. Uh, whether we get caught in uh, as collateral damage in a whole exercise, I think remains to be seen. But I don't think the NAFTA trade, with the exception of uh, you know software lumber and a couple of other things, ultimately at the end of the day, the Americans really couldn't care less about what the Canadian component of NAFTA is. So it, it, it'll see whether you know Trump gets to build his wall and what he has to give up in return at the end of the day. Uh, and right now, let's face it, he's got you know much bigger issues. I think NAFTA is kind of on the back burner as far as he's concerned. Some other issues highlighted by the CFIB. Um, real quick, let's we can talk minimum wage up in Quebec significantly up in Ontario. No doubt, and it, listen, it's it's going to be an issue for small business owners that are really paying that that lower amount. It's going to go up, and of course, when that goes up, all the payroll levies go up in line with it. So they're going to have to they're going to have to manage. They're going to have to tweak it. Are they going to have to raise prices? Are they going to have to get better with their purchasing so other expenses come down? It's a reality. It's a factor. You know, is it going to help the economy in the end because there's going to be more dollars going to people to spend? Could be that too. Uh, but there, there are some unknowns that uh, that would definitely come into play. It's you know the the hard part about all of this is is you want to bring wages up, you want to bring purchasing power up. You've got as an entrepreneur, you've got this pressure coming now from. The, the lower end of the, of the salary scale that now is being forced upon you. You've got the tax system, which pushing pushing down on you as an entrepreneur and not trying to create any kind of, uh, you know, leeway or, or, or wiggle room, if you will. So what's happening? The bottom line of the entrepreneur is getting squished and and the, the pressure at some point has to find its way. And if you look at what's going on in the, in the American economy, the American economy is wonderful. It's great, but not necessarily at the low levels. And I think this you have the same problem in Canada. You're not seeing a lot of strength coming uh, coming from the small entrepreneurs right now. Finally, Josh, real quick, where are we at with uh, with businesses, family businesses here in Canada trying to divvy up the business income among family members? Well, that's uh, the whole Morneau CRA proposals that came out. And it's still a little unclear, but they are allowing for for direct family members, for for spouses, for, you know, if you're over 65, if you have a certain number of hours in the business, they're allowing uh, more leeway in that. But it is still unclear, and uh, we'll, we'll wait to see how the chips fall specifically. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800. We'll chat with Josh and Mike about their business, FL, coming up next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you for our first show of the year. And we're actually just taking uh, some time coming into our 10th year doing the show uh, to talk about FL and your business and you guys as entrepreneurs. So Josh, your partner, uh, Mike Newton, is here as well. Um, Mike, who welcome, is who is our back. fearless leader? He is our managing partner. Managing partner, excuse me. Nobody else wanted the job. <laughs> Mike, what is? We'll ask you the same question, Josh. But actually, you ask the question because to make it a little bit weirder. Ask Mike what you guys do for a living. Somebody, <laughs> somebody asked me a question. Michael Newton, managing partner of FL Fuller Landau. Yes, Josh. What Miller. does FL do? Well, 
Uh, I could sit here for hours and talk about it. The reality is it starts out as your traditional audit and accounting and tax services, but uh, we've tried to create much more over the years in terms of trying to bring in a lot of other services that kind of make us a one-stop shop. I'm a firm believer in multiple touches. So the more a client uh, touches the firm in various aspects of what we do, the better it is. So we do HR consulting. We do some IT consulting. uh, We do virtual CFO work. uh, There's a lot of, obviously, a lot of business and, and, and management consulting work that goes on, uh, business valuation. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that fall into the corporate finance side. So you've got insolvency work, you've got bankruptcy, uh, you've got reorganization. So there's a number of things that uh, our partner sitting in the room, you know, if I don't actually give a shout out to Patrick and what he does during the day, he's going to get a complex. So there's there's enough things to keep us going. Now, the type of clients, uh, private, public, size, like uh, who, who do we deal with? You know, it really disturbs me that I have to explain this to Josh, but um, <laughs> there's, we, there's interested listeners out oh, there. Oh, okay. Mike. So we uh, we don't uh, we don't do much work in the public market uh, sector. We don't do any A and A type work, compliance work. The reality is, it's a special sector uh, that is really not our sweet spot. Um, you're going to end up going to the big boys when it comes to uh, when it comes to dealing in the public marketplace. So ours are traditionally owner owner managed, uh, owner operated family businesses. Uh, don't make the mistake that that means that's a two or three million dollar business. You've you know you've got hundreds of millions and billion dollar companies that are family run and private businesses. So it's a it's, it's a full gamut. I would say the sweet spot probably revolves around five million to fifty to seventy five million of volume pretty much our our sweet spot, but we do have client groups that are in the hundreds of millions, and we do have some smaller clients as well. Now, the firm has been around 55 years, and there is no doubt one of the major aspects then, now, tomorrow is transition. Transitioning from partner to partner, transitioning uh, accounts, um, always ensuring that the client is serviced to the nth degree, as as we always like to have. So, you know, maybe you can take us back to the day that, that you started, uh, 1989, I believe it was. Yes, my therapist has told me I'm not allowed to discuss this in public, but okay. I well, started you know. I started on May 15th, 1989, the same day that Josh Miller did. So the two of us started as summer students together. Um, the firm at the time had just uh, finished a uh, merger between another group. Um, we were a little bit all over the building. We were on four different floors, a little disjointed. Uh, spent the next few years, I guess, uh, trying to understand each other and, and, and move in that direction. Um, hit a point at the end of uh, 1994 where uh, managing partner shifted to Jill Marlowe. And Jill's, uh, Jill's job, I guess, was to get us to that next generation of, of young, uh, up-and-coming professionals for legacy. Uh, no doubt that uh, by the time that uh, the late 90s rolled around, uh, you got a, a plethora of young, uh, aggressive uh, professionals who ultimately at the end of the day uh, want a little bit of power. So uh, we, uh, we'll, we'll say we, we knocked heads a few times along the way. I still think that uh, Jill, who was my predecessor as managing partner, was extremely patient and talented. I would have thrown myself out a long time before that, uh, that he did, but I think he was just looking to retire. So. How did you guys make partner? Uh, what advi- advice would you give to professionals in the same position, young professionals trying to make partner at their firm? And who made partner first? <laughs> well, Mike's, Mike's a year older. Yeah. So every, <laughs> ev- everything in our professional careers, I've done a year sooner, but that's only because I'm a year older. So let's leave it at that. Um, so yes, I was partner at the end. For Jan 198, he was Jan 199. Um, 
he says, gloating with a big smile on his face. <laughs> I, I still look up to him, figuratively, of course. Yeah, so that's the only one I have the high chair. So, um, the, no, the reality of, of, you know, making partner at the time was uh, was a byproduct, I think, of, of looking far enough down the road and saying, what does this firm need going forward? Uh, a lot of the problems with professional firms, and whether that's law firms or accounting firms or even engineering firms, is this inability to get to the next generation, is the inability to try and have... Um, aggressive yet uh, big picture thinking. Uh, so for good or for bad, the story goes that they sent us all off to a, a conference in, uh, in on uh, Vancouver Island and somebody came back as the ringleader, a.k.a. me, uh, with a whole bunch of things that the firm, in order to get to the next generation, needed to start dealing with. Uh, and uh, we started to move it, to, it forward. And Jill and I worked very closely for a number of years. Again, I reiterate that I would have thrown myself out long before. Um, and by the two, end of 2003, we kind of passed the reins, and, and I've been sitting in that chair for 15 years now. So this is I'm, I'm in uh, year 15 of a four-year term. Wow. And, and transition is, is is constant. I mean, sometimes it's out of necessity. When we, when we became partners, there was a little bit of necessity behind it, as some of the older partners uh, really were hitting that retirement age. But then there's a vision aspect that I think we've, we've come to over the years. So when we come back, it's, we're going to talk a little bit more about vision and, of course, about people, because, you know, you can't can't run a firm. Uh, your your biggest asset is, is your people, and uh, and that's an important part. And entrepreneurs, if you're looking to prevent uh, fraud and theft from your business, Patrick Sullivan will join us later in the program to talk about how to talk about that. Uh, but for now, chatting with Mike Newton and Josh Miller from FL about their business on today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller and his partner, Managing Managing Director of FL, Mike Newton. And guys, we're talking about your business today because we're going on our 10th year here on Today's Entrepreneur. You guys are extremely involved in the community, and let's talk about what you do. Um, so just quick recap for those just joining us. What is FL Montreal? So FL Montreal started as your traditional audit and accounting firm, uh, certainly branched out in a lot more in terms of uh, consulting work, uh, HR consulting work. We do business valuations. We do insolvency, re-engineering, uh, reorganization works, virtual CFO work, um, a, lot of, a lot of things that you, know, you expect from a bigger firm that we've tried to incorporate in, in a firm our size. So you're starting in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, just out from school. You, you're quite up to, to partners in the business. Mm -hmm. um, what was your goal and, uh, and how, did you, how did you sort of get to, to own a business while becoming an employee? And what advice would you give to people who are employees who, could, who maybe one day could see themselves owning part of the, that business? Well, I think you've got to see at the end of the day, you know, the old proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, I think in most organizations, the, the buyout component, and whether that's a professional uh, services business or whether it's an ongoing manufacturing organization, uh, the cost associated with buyout and the effect on cash flow, certainly as much as you can see a long-term value and a long-term vision, the cash flow on an annual basis has to make sense. And, and you know, we went through a few uh, rough periods there in the in the late 90s when we became partners as, as, as part of the traditional transitioning component, uh, you know, and I'll save the partnership agreement and some conversations for my therapist and a bottle of bourbon. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, but I wanted to hear about the Yeah, I know agreement. you do. You told me to be concise and to the point. I don't have enough time to be on that. But the reality at the end of the day is, you know, is how much how much are you putting out today to buy something long enough in the future? And, and how do you manage to attract top talent if uh, there's only so much falling to the bottom line? 
suffice to say, you you guys took a big risk at the time, sort of going for partner. Uh, how did you know this would succeed? How did you know the business would succeed? I don't think you do. I think you know when you when the, the the advantage you have of a professional services business is is you're selling your own brain at the end of the day, and for some days that's good, and some days it's not so good. But you know you you look down the road and you say, okay, is there a need for this? Is there are you providing something? Do you see a vision at the end of the day that's more than what you are now? Uh, you know, and, and and I joke and I laugh that the, the the lawyer when I sent the partnership agreement to called me back laughing and said, "You're out of your mind if you sign this partnership agreement." So we looked at each other and said, "Well." You know, is there more to this than meets the eye? And, and, and clearly we saw a vision that was going to be enough to, to drive things forward. And in order to maintain, like I said, in order to maintain the talent, you got to be throwing in enough money to the bottom line. And back then we weren't. So it was a very, it was an uphill battle for everybody. And there's no question that certainly in my recollection and, and why I stayed was there was a great people aspect to it. Uh, not everybody was perfect. We did, we did, have, you know, butt some heads with with some of the the previous partners there and changing the partnership agreement. But overall, there there definitely was positive. Oh. There were some great people around the table. There was a lot of talent around the people around the table and a lot of heart. And, and I think we all got along. We all, many of us saw each other, uh, saw eye to eye. Uh, some of the younger partners that were coming up, and I think that that was definitely one of the areas because we had the ability to affect change and, and, and get our vision into the partnership. Yeah, and I, I, th I think you have to look at the people around the table. I mean, obviously, had we thought we were dealing with a bunch of shysters and, and people that were not going to, you know, work with us, then we would have said goodbye very early. But as Josh said, there was a great group of people. There was a, you know, a founding group of partners that, uh, you know, had the vision, maybe a little reluctantly some days, but, you know, I think we wouldn't have done anything different given given the scenario. And uh, they were very good mentors to us. And, and, and there's no doubt that, you know, you hope at the end of the day, you can provides that kind of framework for the next group that's coming up because that's the stage we're at now. We're at that next generation that's starting to hit the ground as new partners and where do we go as a firm? And, and that's what I wanted to, to head next and you know I'll kind of repeat some of my comment earlier. In our business, in the professional services business, there's no doubt the salaries, the people, the dollars, the talent is a large, large component of the finance aspect. Some of it look at it as your biggest expense, but others, and I think this is where we fall in, look at it as your biggest asset. How do you treat, how do you handle that asset? And uh, so I'll turn the question to you, Mike. We have, you know, we're a little more than 100 people today, and we have four generations under one roof. Yeah, I mean. So how does, and you know, combine that with, with moving forward with the vision, with, with young partners coming up, how, how, how does a firm handle that? Um, shockingly, I still have most of my hair, um, and I'm only partially medicated. But, but are you shrinking? No, well, shrinking. It wasn't that tall to begin with. So, look, I mean, if you, if you look at it, you're, you're at any point in time, if you consider retired guys that, that are still coming in, you know, to either whether they're still involved in clients or coming in for a place to go, you've got range of 20 years old to 80 years old that, that are walking the halls of, of a firm. And, you know, you've got to look at this and you've got to say to yourself, well, how do you balance out the differences in the generations? How do you, you know, provide for everybody to get the respect that they deserve in order to, you know, continue to to get the mentoring and the support you need from some of the older people while you're still trying to create a, a working environment for some of the younger ones that provides something. Now, if you said to people, you know what, you're getting a job at an accounting firm. You know, anybody with any kind of, you know, excitement in their voice is going to go, really? Like, so how are you going to keep me? What are you going to do that's not going to be in the accounting profession? And you spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of money on, on HR. You spend a lot of time on talent and culture because, as Josh said, that's our asset. 
that's that's what sells. I'll also say maybe your experience sort of working your way up from from partner and, and sort of proving that you can be an entrepreneur yourselves. Uh, how has that helped you give better advice uh, to clients? Well, the very first question when I took over as managing partner, a client looked at me as if to say, you know, what's wrong with you? And he said, why would you ever want to take that role in a professional firm? I said, well, I get, you know, I've helped you running your firm. Now I want to prove that I can do this for myself. And that, the entrepreneurial side of me had always wanted to run something. I have to say that the, the ability to, to do the work that we do at the high level of the consulting with our clients is, is really, um, it's augmented by the work that we do on our own business and vice versa. I mean, some of the greatest uh, insights into running our business I've managed to get from some of our clients some of the good things they did some of the bad things they did don't tell them because they're going to send me a bill for it but the reality is we've learned a lot along the way of watching and managing people and how to address things and there is no doubt that the entrepreneurial side of, of you have to have that entrepreneurial side if you're going to run an accounting firm if you're going to run an engineering firm if you're going to run a law firm or you're going to run anything it doesn't happen on its own and there's not really time to answer this but are you measuring more today what you can manage versus the touchy-feely, even though there's a whole bunch of generations? I would have to tell you that it's probably a, still a solid 50-50 split. I mean, we I do live with accountants, so I have to back up my gut feeling with numbers. But the reality is there is still a very large part of what we do that's psychology, that's people-oriented, that you know that you can't necessarily put your finger on at the end of the day. And I think that is an ongoing that, – that, that will never change. Coming up next, we're going to shift focus a little bit and talk to Patrick Sullivan of FL about uh, loss prevention, uh, theft prevention, and lots more, plus uh, the one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur as well on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you. And we're talking about FL on the program tonight. Mike Newton's here, Managing Director of FL Montreal. And we'll turn to Patrick Sullivan, trustee as well at FL. Uh, welcome back, Patrick. Good night, gents. And uh, Josh, we're going to talk about uh, theft prevention on the program tonight. Well, there's no doubt that you're a small business, a small medium business, an SME, and there's multiple ways people can take advantage of your business, uh, inside and outside the company. So when we're looking at not just employees, you're looking at suppliers, you're looking at customers, uh, I, and maybe we can deal with it one at a time, Patrick, is when when you're a small business, and maybe we'll start with the employee side of it. What do you? What should entrepreneurs look for? What's the challenge in trying to keep their employees honest, or or the kind of the signs when when they might not be anymore? Well, I, I, I the the key factors are pretty simple. You have to look at the lifestyles of your key people in the organization, people that all of a sudden become workaholics when they never were. They they like to come in early, leave late. All of a sudden, you see them driving around fancier cars, and obviously, you're aware of the type of earnings that they have. So if you see a, a switch in lifestyle, that might be an indication that some money's being drained somewhere. Uh, another area, obviously, people sometimes run into family issues. They run into divorce cases. They, you know, it can be a gambling problem. It can be uh, a drug problem. Those are the type of issues that you have to monitor closely in order to be able to see and react and then take measures in order to assess, hey, am I getting being, you know, is the money going out the door here? Uh, or, uh, you know, my people 
still are honest and, you know, it's just uh, something that's going wrong. If it's not so obvious or if, you know, you're an entrepreneur that maybe is, uh, is, is not so observant, are there certain things you should do? I mean, you take over some of their uh, activities for a little while. Like, what can entrepreneurs uh, do to kind of fight some of this challenge? I, I'm, I'm pretty old school. I like to say, uh, you know, take the time at... at at a certain point to do a, a sort of an audit. I, I like to do these night audits where uh, give me my bank recs and give me my return checks. I'd like to take a look at them. Give me the deposit book. Obviously, you want to make sure that it's not the same, necessarily the same person that opens the mail, puts it into the books, goes and makes the deposit because then, I mean, the whole flow of information can be tainted easily by one person. So you have to put in measures you know, I, I, to keep their noses clean. And that being said, I, I like to give me the papers and show me what's going on. And then you can challenge. Now, let, let's look at it from a customer supplier standpoint where maybe they can start taking advantage without the entrepreneur knowing. Same problem again. Whoever signs the PO should not be uh, on the receiving end and on the one posting it into the books and vice versa. Uh, because obviously we've seen that happen a lot where the buyer gets into cahoots with a supplier and gets a, a kickback somehow. Uh, so you have to you have to have the people monitoring also your costs because you can have a surprise or a short shipments or whatever. And sometimes the you know you have you have to do these inventory checks as well because sometimes people will be in cahoots. It's not necessarily on, only one individual it can be two or three individuals in the organization that are going to be playing around. Now, I mean, do, you, do as entre are entrepreneurs are they better off doing the checks on their own? Uh, sometimes is the threat of an outside person coming in uh, with that you know, help or be consistent? Or should, then should the entrepreneur, the owner himself, just go in and check it all? Well, the, normally the entrepreneur is not necessarily going to have the time to do everything himself and to validate everything. That's why external professionals come into play. And obviously it, it's always a surprise. Uh, you know, when, when we do these types of mandates for banks that want us to go and validate the information that the client's providing them on the inventory, obviously they don't rely on the internal people to do it. They'll send in professionals to go and, you know, kick the tires. Is the stuff really there or it's not there? How can a business that's not a cash business uh, be victim of this? So what are some creative ways that you've seen uh, of people sort of diverting funds? Uh, the, the One of the most creative ways is the supplier information that, you know, you're buying, but you're not necessarily getting what you're buying or you're... You think you're getting a good price, which you aren't. Uh, Create I've an seen, employee. I've seen people forge signatures. I've seen people issue credit notes to customers where the customer had already sent in the money, but it was diverted to their personal bank account. So there's a multitude of ways this, you know, even though you're not dealing in, in hard coins to divert money. And then, of course, there's the online methods. Uh, I think, Mike, even you received a, an email once what looked like an internal uh, email re requesting fund transfer. Well, I, I got one last week. I mean, as recently as last week. It's the ongoing debate of saying, you know, we need this wire transfer. We've tried to reach you. Uh, and it, it it's coming, theoretically coming from Michael Newton to, uh, you know, somebody in our accounting department. She came to see me. She goes, where do you need the, you know, like, do you need them? I'm, no, it's phishing scams. So there's always something floating around. So there's no doubt. Basically, the entrepreneur needs to be vigilant and needs to not rely on routine. Get out of the routine and check things every now and then. Thanks very much, Patrick. Pleasure.
And as we approach the last moment of our show, I'll turn uh, to my longtime friend and our managing partner, Mr. Michael D. Newton, and ask you, Michael, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Execute. Get things done. I think most of not executing people. You don't people. mean kill people. No. Yeah. Uh, well, sometimes. But uh, no, I think execution. I think it's getting the job done. Most people fall down on the job of talking a good game and never actually getting things accomplished. And if you do get things done and you make a mistake, turn on a dime and fix it. Don't be too proud to say, I've got to go through with this. If it's not working, move on. you got to be able to make a decision. Josh, what about you? One piece of advice for Daniel's entrepreneur, uh, I would say certainly in the context of professional services firm, uh, listen, listen to your people and have an open mind. Uh, it's, you know, right or wrong. There are, there are new ideas. There are new ways that can be had. There are, there are new ways to slice a piece of bread sometimes. So be open about it and, and sometimes trust your people. Well, thanks guys. And it's been fun, uh, doing this for so long and watching you guys expand and take over new companies. And it's, 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 it's really, it's really inspirational to watch. So thanks for, for sharing your story tonight. Thank you. Next week on the program, Josh, JRS Media. Bureaucracy, actually. It's bureaucracy. Oh, bureaucracy, excuse me. That's okay. It's uh, it's it's a huge car event uh, that takes place in Mirabel on an annual basis, and uh, it should be interesting to hear their story. Excellent. Next Monday at 7 here on CJD 800. Have a good night.